and obviously talk about the cool. new album and what you've yeah. been doing on the quarantine time and how much I love following you on Twitter. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who would ever think that uh, you and Ice-T and Franzilla from Attila would have so much in common together? I know. Well, uh, the Internet definitely brings out all the wildness uh, out of all of us, I guess. <laughs> is this dude for real or is he just trolling us all? I don't know. I, sometimes I go back and forth, but I do think it's real. So that's my my gut feeling. But you never know nowadays because, I mean, it's uh, the Internet definitely awards uh, bad attention. So <laughs> you never know if someone's doing it to kind of, I guess, get some attention out of it. I guess, man. I guess looking at it a whole new way. I got to take my radio show in that direction, too, and start. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. that's the way, you know, maybe our next album, <laughs> that's all it's going to be is just call out the beats and see where it goes from there. No, please keep doing what you've been doing. I, I love <laughs> love this album, uh, What the Dead Men Say. And you guys are amazing what you're doing. It. I saw that you did the album in like 16 days or something and, and did a month before where you had it like all the songs nailed and front to back before you even yeah. went into the studio with Josh Wilbur. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was definitely spread out over a couple months, but, you know, we'll do writing, usually like the first writing session, we'll do a little bit longer than a week just because, you know, getting our, I don't know, just kind of the creativity going on the first few songs and usually takes a little bit longer. But then by like week two or three that we come back and write, you know, we're pretty much just going in for a week and just spending time on about three or four new songs. And then we just kind of keep rehearsing the whole time. It gets us super tight before we hit the studio. And then when we get in the studio, it's like we know everything and tracking just goes by really quick. You just go, hey, Josh, just hit play and record at the same time, bro. We got it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we try to be as prepared as possible. And I think it's good for Josh, too, because it kind of gives him a sense of like, you know, what we're trying to achieve with the record. And so there's not like this kind of guessing when we get in there, like, okay, well, what do we want this song to be like or this and that? It's really kind of, you know, when we get in there, all we're focusing on is like the, the details of everything and then like making sure the vocals and lyrics are all on point. And it gives us a little extra time in case we need to kind of like spend a few days with something, you know, it, it gives us like a little buffer. So we're not like running up against, you know, trying to finish the record, you know, running out of time. You know, I, I'm always curious with, with the little intro tunes before the record, like song number nine, is that like leftover or mm -hmm. is that kind of, or, or is that kind of more like, like going to a brewery and, and getting a flight and a little taster before yeah. you get the whole album? <laughs> You know, every album, I, I feel like intro-wise, is kind of different for us. Sometimes we've just foregone like a, a, an intro and just get right into it. Sometimes it's kind of like more planned out in the beginning. With this, it's like we wrote the song pretty much with that intro piece on it. So I feel like it was written as one song. And then we pretty much split where the intro stops and then start what the dead men say on the track listing and the clean part we wrote in the studio. So it was kind of like we rehearsed the most of it. We knew we were going to have something like that. We just waited till we got into the studio and then put it together. So it was like definitely planned once we knew that song was going to be the first track, you know, the first real song of the record, that that was going to be the intro piece for it. So it, it was born out of the original what the dead men say, the song. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, taking motifs from the song itself and kind of playing them a little differently so 
definitely like a preview of like what's to come with the song, which I, I really like. I can't wait till we can actually play it live. You know, <laughs> that was going to be the thing we were looking forward to the most. Is that going to be like, yeah, you're going to come out on stage with that rolling and then yeah. get into it? Oh, that had been sick. Well, it, it, it'll still happen when it all happens. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, it will at some point. Man, you know, when speaking about the album, really cool to see Matt giving you a lot of praise and love and calling you uh, his his director as far as lyrics and ideas and stuff like that. But I'm sure it, it's got to be a great source for you, not only playing bass. And I know you've contributed riffs over the years and now contributing mm-hmm. lyrics over the years. Like it must be feel more inclusive for you to be a part of it, more ownership for you yeah. in there when, when you got your words in there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been like a, I don't know, kind of a natural progression with that i mean since i've been in the band you know my like writing contribution started on the album the crusade because by the time i joined uh before we recorded ascendancy most of it was mostly written at that point so it was like ascendancy i played on crusades when i kind of started writing and it's kind of just like more and more over the years just contributed more stuff and then i feel like you know matt Corey, and i have just become kind of like this kind of collaborative writing team, you know, like when you think about like some sort of songwriters that kind of like have a couple people that write together, I feel like that's what we've really become with Trivium. And now with Alex in the band, it's like having this like fourth guy that has so many great ideas and, you know, his drumming is just on such another level that it's like, I feel like when we get in there, it's like, there's no, you know, distinct, like, okay, this is the role this person has or that person. It's really, in the jam room, we're all kind of throwing ideas out and no one, you know, is at the top of that hierarchy. It's kind of like just throwing the ideas out, try them, see what works, see what everyone likes. And that's how we, we work. You know, it's uh, kind of a hive mind type thing. It only took 20 years to go back to that garage mentality. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is kind of funny how things become, you know, go full circle with like stuff like that, because over the years, like the technology of course has gotten better and better and, each of us has like good home studios that we can record demos and stuff. And it, it's never sounded better to record like a home studio, you know, recording, but you can't replace that like jamming. Like that's kind of the, the key element of it. I mean, and especially for rock and metal as a genre, like if you take that part out of it, like you're just making studio music, you're not really making a rock or metal. Like you got to have that sort of, exchange of ideas and sort of, um, I don't know, it's a, it's a feel thing, you know, and it's hard to really replicate at home because I can sit down and write like riffs all day on my computer and make them sound like, you know, a studio album right now, but it isn't going to have the same trivium vibe because like the other guys aren't there putting their, you know, marks on the, on the music. And, you know, I'm not going to have a drummer like Alex who's able to really, you know, bring out all of the, the rhythm and elements that he can as a drummer. Yeah, no, it, and you know what's also great too is you know twenty plus years. Congrats on on twenty years of, of trivium. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, you know, and listening to this album too, it and you guys have kind of mentioned it and talking about it, but it really is trivium sound. I mean, it's not metal core. It's not. It, it's not any subdivision of metal. Yeah. It's just kind of your worlds all colliding in a blender. Yeah. And I feel like every song has a little bit of every element in it. Yeah, it's like we almost. You know, I think, of course, when we came out, like, there was, like, this kind of new crop of bands coming up. And, of course, you know, you had come, like, metalcore, the kind of new wave of American heavy metal type movement and that we were a part of. And it's like almost as we've gotten further away from that and we've just kind of developed our, our own thing, I think, especially because 
you know, there's not many bands from that era that are still kind of doing things now, you know, that are active. So it's like we've kind of just really developed into our own sound. And, you know, it, it takes time sometimes to get there. But I do think it's like we're like this product of like all these different influences from all over the years. And now I think we just don't have to really even think that hard about it when we go in and write. Like that stuff just kind of comes out of our, our writing. And, you know, when we listen back or when fans listen, like, you know, they're like, wow, this kind of reminds me of this record or that record of yours. And it's just kind of of the years and years of writing it's just easy when we get in there it's like we don't even have to think about it it just kind of comes out naturally now you know the writing the riffs everything i love it and just curious but you know i one day when i when the radio dream ends for me whenever not knock on wood anytime soon but i want to pick up bass guitar at some point kind of curious on this album is there any you're normally a fingers guy but is there any any uh picking on this album at all on the bass for you Uh, no, it's still, you know, I still do all finger style bass playing. That's how I learned. And, you know, for one record, I did play with a pick, which was Ascendancy when I was, you know, I, I didn't get the third finger down for triplet playing <laughs> with bass. But once I got that down, I, I went back to playing with my fingers. I just always preferred it. You know, it's a, just a different feel. And I like writing on bass too. So it's like, I have the benefit of like going from like, you know, I can sit down and play guitar for a while. And then when I kind of get burnt out on writing with guitar, I'll just switch to bass. And, you know, it's a different vibe, different element. And of course, you know, similar instruments, but I don't know, there's just a different feel about playing bass with your fingers that, um, you know, different than guitar. You know, speaking of the early days, you know, I kind of wanted to go back. I kind of have a little bone to pick as a Trivium fan over the past couple of shows. I kind of wanted to go back and, and talk about that second album, the first one that you really got to write on the Crusade, because I yeah. really feel like that's an album that kind of is largely uh, ignored in the set list over the past couple mm. of years. And uh, curious now, kind of your thoughts all these years later on that album and, and being the first one that you really got to contribute yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like one of those records that like, I think following Ascendancy, which was like, you know, this real breakthrough album for us, you know, we had a lot of really big ideas that I think like we weren't as musicians really like, you know, capable of seeing through with like the amount of time we gave ourselves and just like, you know, where we were at. And it's funny because like, I look at what we do now and what we're able to do over the last few records and then in a weird way, it's like the crusade was kind of like this early attempt at it before really knowing how to like do all of those things and stick the landing, you know, with these kind of ambitious ideas. But we've always been a very ambitious band musically, you know, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I do think a lot of the crusade is still great, you know, and I think most of it not being in the set as much is just because we have so many records now. And I feel like every time we come out with a new record, all the old records kind of get pushed back a little bit in the set. There's, of course, some songs you you definitely want to try to play. And, you know, it's just so hard to like to play new stuff and then to also play like not only old stuff, but then to play like deeper cuts from the old stuff. One thing I do hope is like, you know, depending on how this uh, the virus thing kind of plays out and what we're able to do in terms of touring. You know, one of the things we've been talking about is like we're definitely when we can at least travel again, Alex lives in California, I live in Chicago. Once we can all get back together in Orlando and rehearse and stuff again, you know, we have the ability to do all the streaming shows because we've been doing that for the last three years, like on tour. So, you know, we talked about maybe doing some sets and like mixing it up and doing some deeper cuts that we haven't played ever or stuff we just don't play a lot, you know, on tour. And if it's going to be one of those things we can't tour for a bit, you know, maybe we get together every month or so and, and just do a different theme for a set and just like, 
have fun with it and just try to do some different things that we normally wouldn't get a chance to on tour. That would be sick to, to really go through and, and play some of those tracks. I'm sure there's a lot yeah. of songs on that album you guys haven't even touched yet. Like, yeah, I mean, nine records. We, we definitely have plenty of material. So, like, <laughs> we could do so many different orders of set lists and different things and try different things. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll do a, a full album playthrough of one of them or something. You know, it's the 15th anniversary of Ascendancy this year. So, hey. you know, we had no plans to play any shows for that record but you know if we're stuck at home for a while maybe we'll do a streamed show of that or something you know for fun that'd be sick you know speaking of uh, the ascendancy and i was thinking about it earlier a couple of old older shows la shows that i wanted to hit you with la area shows but the wiltern in particular i remember oh, yeah. you guys the first time you had played there and then what two summers two falls or whatever when you played with arch enemy kind of coming back as that being mm-hmm. a, a watershed moment from opening you know all those years on, on yeah. ascendancy and then now headlining but i was trying to remember that opening tour because that was a night you guys filmed um, dying in my arms dying in your arms that yeah. was uh that was with uh in flames Oh, it was opening for In Flames at for okay back. Yeah, in, I, I was gonna say it that maybe Machine Head, but In Flames is that was um, that was probably In Flames like the end of the Ascendancy cycle too because it was like us In Flames, uh, maybe Devil Driver was on that one. Yeah, Zayo opening. You know, we do, we've done a couple tours with In Flames, but that was the the tour we did Dying Your Arms video. Right. Yeah, and you guys all went out in the the lobby afterwards and were signing and hanging. Yeah. Out. I've watched that video a thousand times frame by frame <laughs> looking for myself in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely awesome. Like, I guess now the Arch Enemy tour is like almost over two years ago, but that was a, that was a great tour, you know, and it was awesome to get back to the Wilt turn and, you know, to, to sell the place out and to, you know, I guess, again, it's kind of full circle. You you know, you start at the very bottom with, with touring and, you know, making music and you just kind of work your way up slowly. I mean, it's truly like kind of the only way to do it you know in this genre like if you kind of are willing to put in the time and do the touring like you can definitely make a career out of it if uh, if you just keep making music people want to hear and keep touring one other uh, unique show i want to say one to bring up was when matt had to leave tour back oh, a couple yeah. of years ago with uh, avatar and, and light the torch i was at the house of blues at anaheim show and yeah. just kind of curious how that came together and who who decided <laughs> to call brandon from atreyu a to come down yeah. and sing um, well, we kind of knew in advance, like before the tour that, that um, it was probably going to be possible that Matt would have to leave. And that wasn't the intentional goal to have that happen at the end. You know, he wanted to finish with us, but kind of came to the point where it felt like he needed to get home to be with his wife. And we kept moving west and going into Canada. And it felt like the flights home were getting less. The possibility of getting home was like not going to be easy if he had to in a, you know, a quick turnaround so he went home. We had Jared Dines out with us playing guitar. He learned the whole set. Obviously, we had Howard Jones come up, learn a bunch of songs. Yeah. Johannes uh, from Avatar, you know, killer, man. Like, just great personality, great uh stage presence you know it was just such a like i don't know how to describe it it was really like a party almost it was like celebrating the band in a weird way and it was like (laughs) weird because matt wasn't there for it so it's like he had to watch through twitch his twitch account pretty much so that was kind of like this weird experience for him and um you know brandon of course we know he lives in the area there by the anaheim uh, house of blues and we called him up like hey you want to come down and come sing a couple tunes and he was totally down for it and he came out did the sound check 
sound, you know, he sounded incredible. Like he's one of my favorite singers in the genre for sure. And it was an honor to have him come out and to have him and Howard singing on a few songs together. It was like, yeah, just really wild. It was like kind of like a, just a big event. You know, we, we tried to make the best of it. I think people really enjoyed it and we wanted to make sure that people left you know, that night, not feeling like they got shortchanged, you know, because we know people spend a lot of money to come to the shows. You know, we wanted them to feel like, okay, like it wasn't what I was coming here for originally, but I got something that's like once in a lifetime to see these other great singers fill in for Matt and sing the songs. Yeah, no, that's how I looked at it. Like, when are you ever going to see Howard Jones singing Trivium tunes? Yeah. And, you know, it was a really yeah. cool show in that regard. And obviously, uh, fingers crossed, it, the uh, big summer tour eventually does happen for you. But, um, yep. you know, I mentioned earlier about loving following you on, on Twitter and you were posting about it. And I had to bring it up. I actually put it on last night. Decline of the Western <laughs> Civilization Part 2. Oh, yeah. Way that's better incredible. than, than so Heavy Metal Parking Lot, though, I got to say. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely more of a, I feel like heavy metal parking lot's kind of like a shorter kind of thing, like just kind of funny to see them, but like the kind of uh, Western civilization part two is like, uh, I don't know. It never gets old. Like just totally what a, <laughs> what a like piece of, uh, of art that is, especially with, uh, what's his name? Uh, was it Chris, Chris Holmes? Holmes or John? Yeah. Like in the pool, like, <laughs> That's like the part that's just seared into my brain. I'm like, wow, like what, what a time capsule that is. You know, obviously I never experienced any of that. I was, you know, a young baby, you know, at that time. But like, just to look back and be like, wow, what decadence and just absurdity. And just to think that <laughs> there was no way this was ever going to last. Dude, I watched it again last night for the first time, watched it as a yeah. kid like you did and watch it again. I went, wow, everybody is high in this movie too. Yeah, everybody's it, sweating it's through the really, room. really wild. Like, I mean, that was definitely some hard living for a few years. And like, you just think about like, I mean, I I think about like how we've been a band for almost 15 years and like how quickly like just five years goes by. And, you know, for a lot of those bands, it was like they had this like insane meteoric like rise for like five or six years and then just a total tank <laughs> at the end and just like it must have been just such a blur and blackout for most people. <laughs> like, cause it's just like watching those dudes. You're like, Whoa, you got, you guys are just like, you don't even know what's coming at the end of this decade. <laughs> well, dude, I want to do like the follow-up, you know, like they did the tiger King yeah. follow-up, you know? Oh yeah. I want to do that with decline of the Western civilization. See all that those dudes with, in makeup and see how they look today. And they're stockbrokers now. And, you know, oh, bald yeah. and have three kids and, three ex-wives or whatever the story is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would be very interesting, kind of a reunion of that, you know, while you can, I guess. I, I saw um, Chris Holmes at a festival a few years ago in France. I think he lives in France now. And right. uh, I was just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I'm like, I wonder if he's mad when people ask about it. Like, it's probably like one of those things you're like, not very proud of. Yeah. <laughs> like years later, just like, yeah. Cause from what I've read, like, that was kind of like, that kind of hurt his career for quite a bit, which I'm like, you know, I, I could kind of see maybe people wouldn't want to work with someone that gets in the pool and drinks like three <laughs> bottles of vodka in their clothes. You know, that could maybe be a little off putting, but uh, definitely of the time. Dude, the thing that, that I didn't realize from all these years and watching it again was never have Ozzy make you breakfast. Do you remember that uh, bacon, that nasty bacon uh, he was making? It was disgusting. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would ask Ozzy to make me any food, honestly. 
And he's like talking to the camera and pouring orange juice and it goes like all over uh, the table and everywhere but in the glass he's pouring it. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, that's a rough, rough time. Although it does feature at the very end, my favorite, I, I think of all time, I th- yeah, my favorite Megadeth tune of all time, which they were just writing at that point in my darkest yeah. hour. Oh, yeah. Classic peak Megadeth right there. Just very interesting too because it's like that's such an interesting like time point for like bands and like the fact that like a lot of those bands like at that point like that was definitely like you know the hair bands and the, the thrash bands and stuff like hate each other the whole scene yeah. separation and stuff it's like a <laughs> there's just so much there that I would love I'm sure there's probably so much footage that hasn't even been seen or used you know just we- make this comprehensive like time piece one of the last times I was in an actual record store, I bought that on DVD, the Decline box set with parts one, oh, two, yeah, yeah. and three, and and there's a bonus one I haven't even got to yet. But yeah, yeah, I, well, the first one's the punk one, right? Yeah, and I then think. I think the third one's a punk one too. Yeah, I've I don't know paid, if I've even seen that one. Yeah, me neither. I've only just paid attention to the metal one, but I got to watch yeah. them at some point. Hey, Paulo, I appreciate all the time. I won't keep you too much longer. A couple, couple last things I wanted to hit you with. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of Twitter, I, I enjoyed uh, the 90s band names that you were going off on, like Space Hot, oh, and yeah. Jimmy's Chicken Shack, and Toadies. But <laughs> I, I, I would say Don't Sleep on Sponge, man. That's a, that's a solid yeah, album. Yeah. Rotting Pinata and Plowed. I love that song. Yeah, yeah. There's so many good. The years like 95 through 97, I feel like we're like when I discovered like rock music for real. So it's like I always have a fondness for like all of those bands, you know, even if I was like mostly just like the big hits and stuff. But like, it's always nice to kind of go back. You know, I get on Spotify and I'll just kind of go down a rabbit hole and just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I remember this band and like just their great songs from that time period kind of like a, that like you know post grunge but the bands didn't really fit in with the new metal thing right and sort of like i guess it was kind of what would birth like maybe like the rock scene that would come in the 2000s but they weren't it was kind of like that in between kind of bridging the gap there but there's so many good bands from that era and like some great hits i, I feel like it's kind of an underrated era of rock too you know, it's just like kind of went under the radar because like most people are just so consumed with like maybe MTV and like you don't realize like, wow, there's like a lot of great hits from that era. Yeah, that's when I started in radio. So all that stuff brings yeah. me back to the very beginning, that late 90s alternative when everyone was lost and just trying to figure like what what's coming next? Like, what do we do next? Yeah, like what is it? Yeah, I remember going to some rock festivals. Um, like I live in South Florida and I went to like a this big rock festival in Miami at the time and like just pretty much seeing like every band on their debut, like seeing Disturbed on the debut album, like Linkin Park. And it's just like, it was pretty crazy because it's just like, man, like, literally all these bands kind of just like out of nowhere coming like from just zero to like 60 all of a sudden like these bands are like massive overnight but it's like seeing them like at probably some of their first big festivals like that and just kind of getting to experience that was like so cool and then years later you're rubbing elbows and playing with all those guys yeah yeah it's really pretty wild (laughs) (laughs) last couple things for you being a bass player i know you're a massive metallica fan have you picked a song Mm -hmm. for them to you guys did the mass Master of Puppets, and I know you were saying on Twitter, yeah. what song should Metallica cover of yours? Have you thought of Ooh. one for them to do? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I was kind of interested to see what fans would pick. I mean, 
I guess maybe I would ask them to play Shogun because Master of Puppets is a long song and, you know, they play long songs, so that's a pretty long song of ours. So I'm sure they could probably, uh, they could probably handle that one, I think. It'd be, uh, be fun to listen to, see what their interpretation is. I feel like anytime they cover a song, it just turns into a Metallica song. <laughs> just, you know, James's voice and just the way Lars plays, it just kind of becomes their song. I love their covers. They're like probably one of my favorite bands that covers like things, you know, it's just, they turn it into their own song, which I think is such a great quality about them. What is your favorite Metallica song? Favorite Metallica song? I mean, I would definitely say Master Puppets. You yeah. know, that's, uh, when we got the offer to, to do that cover record, the Kerrang! cover record, I think it was uh, years ago, I was like, we are pretty much right away. We're like, well, we got to do Master Puppets. Like, that's the song. Like, that's, I mean, the album's incredible, but like, that is, that song is the pinnacle of, of metal. It's, it's so good. You know, it's like a catchy song that's like eight and a half minutes long and just goes through so many changes. Like, you know, to be able to pull that off, like, that's, that's just the best. That's the top of the line, that song. Yeah, that's my all time favorite tune from them as well. Last question for you being a bass player, being a big Metallica fan, but I also know you're a big Iron Maiden fan, but curious, yes. you being a bass player, who's a bigger influence on you? Is it Cliff Burton or Steve Harris? I mean, I would definitely say probably like, you know, the formative years, definitely Cliff Burton, because, you know, Metallica was like all I was obsessed with when I was a kid, you know, but then discovering Iron Maiden a few years later and just really appreciating like not only Steve Harris is playing, but him as a songwriter. You know, it's definitely kind of tricky there because like, I feel like, when when I'm writing and also when I'm just like coming up with bass parts for songs, like I kind of shift back and forth between all the different types of bass player mindsets, I guess you could say that I've like have of people that have influenced me. And, you know, Steve Harris is like melodically drives a lot of their songs. And sometimes I want to do that with the bass. And then sometimes it's like more of like this kind of out there solo-y type stuff or just kind of more, you know, following along with the riffs. So I kind of shift through that. I would say Cliff Burton and, and Steve Harris are definitely like the top two for me. And it's hard to kind of put one above the other now. And what about Geezer? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's again, <laughs> like, you know, like, I feel like when you get into metal and rock, it's like you learn not only about these guys, but then you start playing, like you really just learn what made their sound just unique and interesting. And as you start to learn cover songs when you're younger, you start to incorporate those little things, like the way they play fills or whatever into your sound. And over time, just like a band, like you start to like incorporate it into your sound and then it kind of turns into a whole nother thing when you start mixing it with other stuff you've learned. And that's kind of just been for me, like even still, like I, I'm just like on Spotify, I'm always like listening to music and like trying to pick apart like what makes something that I like work and how to do that and how to incorporate it into like, you know, something I do. And you're kind of always trying to learn something new. But I mean, those dudes are all like, that's the staple of <laughs> bass playing, you know, Geezer, Steve Harris, Cliff Burton, you know, can't get any better than that, really. What was the first song you learned on bass? First cover, like uh, first rock first, song? Try to think. First metal song or first song, period? Uh, metal song. Well, the first one would be King Nothing because that was what got me into Metallica. You ah, know, I was Houston. playing bass at that point and definitely like when I saw that video on MTV, I was like, 
this band's amazing. Like, what is this? And I had to learn that riff. And uh, yeah, that was definitely the first metal riff. And then the first song I ever like tried to learn how to play was Wrong Way by 311, or excuse me, by Sublime. Ah. But 311 was also <laughs> my one of my favorite bands when I first started playing bass. So obviously I picked bass player, you know, focused bands when I was getting into music. Hell yeah, Peanut's a hell of a bass player. Yeah, he's amazing. He plays Warwick too. That's also, I've been playing Warwick now for the few, last few years and, you know, he's uh, definitely in the beginning was one of the like first dudes I was like, whoa, this is like wild. A bass can sound like this. <laughs> Love it, man. Paulo, appreciate all the time. It's been a blast talking to you. Always is. Dude, you rock. Thanks for checking out the entire podcast. Now just hit the subscribe button. That way you get it sent to you directly. And follow me on social media at MikeZ967. Don't miss the radio show, bro. Wired in the Empire happens every Saturday night at midnight on 96.7 KCAL Rocks online at kcalfm.com. Adios.